to experience a turning point in your spiritual life, you have to be willing to take a stand for Jesus. Today, we'll be looking at three things we need to know to take a stand for Jesus Christ. This message is the sixth in the series, Turning Point. The message is entitled, Take a Stand. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. I want to talk to us this morning about taking a stand, learning how to take a stand in our walk with Jesus. Turning points. A turning point really is defined as a decisive strategic moment in your life when you actually make a positive turn in a fresh direction, a positive turn that changes your life for the better, and not just for the better, but to put you on a pathway that will lead you to the best. Because life, from God's standpoint, is to be lived not just for what is good or better, but for what is best. And God has a best for your life. And part of us, what we have to learn in our spiritual journey is how do we get on the pathway that leads us to the best? So you can be on all kinds of roads in your life, and they can be good and even better than good, but there's a pathway in your life that is the best pathway for your life. And the Bible is very clear about giving us some principles that will guide us onto that pathway. One of those things that we must learn to do if we're going to walk on the right pathway of life and make the turning point to get on the right pathway is to actually learn how to take a stand in our walk with Jesus. How do we stand up for Christ? What does it mean to do that? How do we live that out in our own spiritual journeys? Let me share with you three things today that I think will help you and I to come to that place of taking a more firm and solid stand in our walk with Jesus. The first thing that we must do, if you have your notes there, go ahead and write it down, is we must learn to go public with our faith, to go public with our faith. Now, I want to uh, ask all of you ladies here for a moment to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine this is before you were married, if you are married, and you're in love with this wonderful man, and he comes to you, and you're anticipating an, a, a, a proposal, and he comes to you and says, you know, I really want you to marry me. I want us to spend the rest of our lives together, but I don't want anyone to know about it. You know, let's keep it secret. We'll just have a secret marriage. Now, how many of you ladies would say, no way, right? If you're smart, you would run the other way. Why? Because commitment is always demonstrated by a public affirmation, a public declaration of the fact that you are in, you are committed to that spouse. And you will stand before a minister as husband and wife, potential husband and wife, and you will make vows to one another. And then you have declared that I am in this marriage relationship. We are connected with one another until death do us part. Well, the Bible is very clear that in our walk with God, that commitments are not just something you make in your heart, it's something that God wants you to make with the actions of your life, that there is a point when you go public with your faith. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, the, actually the book of Genesis, where God first established a covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham believed God, the Bible says. He was the first man of faith, we might say, in that particular way, although Noah preceded him with a great amount of faith and grace on his life as well. But Abraham was this man of faith, establishing covenant relationship with God to, to be the father of this great nation of Israel. And God said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Now that you have affirmed your faith in me, we're going to make a sign of this covenant. There's going to be something that will, for, that will mark you and mark all of those coming after you and the Jewish nation that you belong to me. And that sign, of course, was a sign of circumcision. It was an outward sign of an inward covenant relationship with God. And so the Bible is very, very clear about the fact that when you and I make a 
commitment to Christ, a commitment to God, that out of that will flow some kind of public affirmation of that faith. Jesus said this himself. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, I'm going to invite you to read this together with me. First of all, from the New Living Translation, then I'm going to read it to you from God's Word Translation. And let's all read aloud and loudly together again, Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse number 32. Here we go. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Now, that's a very heavy passage, isn't it? Jesus said, you have to understand something. If you're not willing to acknowledge me publicly here on earth, that when you stand before the Father in heaven, I'm going to have to say, I don't know you. Now listen to the, to the translation here, God's Word translation. Let me read this for you. Jesus says, so I will acknowledge in front of my Father in heaven that person who acknowledges me in front of others, but I will tell my Father in heaven that I don't know the person who tells others that he doesn't know me. Again, very sobering words. And what I want you to understand this morning is to understand that a relationship with God starts privately, but it doesn't stay private. See, when you came, to know, you came to faith in Christ or you made the decision to give your life to Christ or maybe you're in that process of making that decision in your life even now, that's something that's between you and God. It's not something that happens between you and a bunch of people. It's you and God coming into relationship with each other, coming to that point where you say, Jesus, I'm inviting you into my heart. And that is, again, very private. It's something that, that, that no one else can share in in that moment. But once having made that decision, if you're going to have all the power that you need to live the life that Jesus wants you to live, you have to step out and go public with that faith. There's a point when you say, now that I have met him privately, I'm going to tell the world that I belong to him. So the question is, how do you and I go public with our faith? How do we let other people know that we are ones that belong to Christ? How do we acknowledge him before men so that he will acknowledge us before the Father in heaven? Well, I could talk about lots of different things this morning that would help us to understand how we actually publicly affirm our faith. I'm going to talk about a few more of those in a moment. But right now, I want to draw your attention to one thing the Bible teaches us, one of those things the Bible teaches us that will help us to affirm our faith publicly to others. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about water baptism. Now, if you've been water baptized, then what I hope I will share with you about in the next few moments will be something that will reaffirm, reignite inside of you the awareness of what happened when you were water baptized. If you've never been baptized in water, I hope that today's message will help you to make a decision that you're going to take that step in your spiritual journey. Now, Jesus taught this to us. First of all, before he taught it, he, he exemplified it. The Bible says that when Jesus began his earthly ministry, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 3, that he went to the Jordan River where a man by the name of John the Baptist was baptizing folks, preparing them for the coming of Messiah. And Jesus comes to John the Baptist and says, I want you, John, to baptize me. And John the Baptist protests. He said, you know, Jesus, I can't baptize you. You're, you're greater than I am. I don't even deserve to untie your sandals. But Jesus said, no, I want you to baptize me because it fulfills all righteousness. In other words, Jesus said, it's the right thing to do. I want to establish a pattern. I want people to look at me and know the right way to follow faith. I want them to see me setting the example for them and for those that will come. 
And Jesus was baptized there in the Jordan River. And the Bible says that when he came up out of the waters, God attested that moment by sending the Holy Spirit as a dove upon him and speaking out of heaven the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. God set his seal of approval on the baptism of Jesus, setting a seal of approval on baptism for you and me as well. Now, when Jesus had finished his earthly ministry... He's done all of his teaching. He's gone to the cross, died on Calvary for you and me on that Friday, that good Friday that we often celebrate around the Easter season. Then he goes into the tomb, rises again victoriously on that Easter morning. The Bible says that then he spent 40 days with his disciples, preparing them before Jesus would go back to the right hand of God the Father. And as Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven, he calls his disciples together and gives them a last statement, a last, if you will, mission, a last we often refer to as commission, a mission that they were to be involved in with him. Now, would you agree with me that if you're going to give some folks the last words you're going to say to them before you go away, you're going to pick those words very carefully. And so Jesus picked his words very carefully and gave us what we call as the church the great mission or the great commission recorded for one of the places it's recorded is Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20. So again, these are the last words of Jesus before he ascends back to God the Father. Notice what he says, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. What's the next word there? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to come back again one day, but while I'm away from you, back up in heaven, here's your job. This is your mission. I want you to go out and make disciples. I want you to call people to come to me. It says, go and make disciples. Now that word go in the original language is not just a missionary send. A lot of people think that it means uh, just missionaries going to other nations. No, the actual meaning of the word go there is as you go, as you're going about your life. That means that everybody is a missionary wherever you are. Everybody is called to share Jesus wherever you are. It says, as you go. Now, down south, we used to say it this way, being as you're going. (laughs) Being as you're going somewhere, as you're on your way, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that one of the ways that people will identify themselves with me is the fact that they will be willing to go into the waters of baptism and make a public affirmation of their faith. Now, let me say something about baptism before I move further here. Baptism does not save you. Baptism does not get you to heaven. You can be baptized a million times, and if you don't have faith in Jesus, all will happen to you is that you will go in dry and come out wet. There'll be nothing different, okay? So baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is something that follows our salvation experience with Christ when we're publicly saying to the world that we belong to Him. Now let's talk about this term baptism just for a moment. The word baptize in the Greek language is a word that literally means to dip or to immerse. That's the meaning of the word. That's why we baptize by immersion. We immerse. Now, the best way to understand sometimes some of these Greek words that Jesus chose to use and are used in the religious setting, the Christian setting for us, is to actually get some history on the word. 
And the word baptism was used before Jesus came to describe a few different things. One of the primary meanings of the words, word that Jesus used there, baptize, uh, is found about 200 years before Christ, and it was used to describe the making of pickles. Now, did you know they made pickles before Jesus came to earth? That's the history of pickles. I'm not sure if there's anybody here today that have ever made pickles before. Do we have any pickle makers here? Just anybody at all? Like three of you, okay, that have made pickles, all right? Well, my grandmother used to make pickles, and I loved them. Amazing. Because what they would, she would do is she would take the cucumbers, and then she would boil them, immerse them in hot water for a period of time. And according to the Greek language, that's what baptize means, to take the cucumber and to immerse it into the water. And then she would take it out and put it into this beautiful solution, amazing solution, that would cook for a period of time where, again, this vegetable was immersed or baptized baptized in this vinegar kind of solution with all these wonderful spices. Man, my mouth is drooling right now just as I'm thinking about it, okay? And she would bring it out and we would have the pickles. Now, my favorite pickle that my grandmother would make was called bread and butter pickles. Anybody know anything about bread and butter pickles? Man, if you want to get close to me, just bring me some bread and butter pickles. I tell you, no, I'm really kidding. Don't, I'll have like a thousand jars next week, all right? But they're amazing, incredible. Why? Because that cucumber, which you may not like in its raw form, once it is baptized, becomes something very delicious. Once it is baptized, the entire nature, if you will, of that vegetable is different. It takes on a flavor that it did not have before. Another meaning of the word or use of the word baptism in the, uh, in the ancient Greek was used to describe the dyeing of a cloth. And all of us understand something about that. You take a piece of cloth that you maybe have, maybe it's green and you want it to be red and so you get the red dye and you immerse that cloth into that solution and it comes out a different color. That's the idea. It changes the nature, the look of what, was, what it was subjected to. It was immersed in or baptized into the dye. And so Jesus said, what I want you to do is understand that baptism Baptism is all about you identifying yourself with me so that you can begin to take on the nature and character that I reflect in my life. Now, Paul the Apostle was very, very big about baptism. He experienced baptism in his own life after his conversion on the road to Damascus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9, how he was baptized by Ananias, the disciple there. And then he began to teach as a part of his doctrine and a part of establishment of the early church the importance of baptism. Listen to what he said in Romans chapter chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were, what's the word there? Baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus, uh, Paul said, let me tell you what baptism is all about. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward work. It is a way that you publicly affirm your faith in Christ. It is an identifying moment that when you are taken down into the waters of baptism, it is symbolically saying that you are giving up your old life, the person that you were before you met Christ. You are buried with Christ in baptism. Then you come up out of those waters to walk in the newness of life, symbolizing or identifying with Jesus in his resurrection. And he uses the word all because he wants 
all of us who are followers of Jesus to be engaged to follow Jesus in this pattern. Notice his words in Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. When you came to Christ, again he's talking about Christians here, you were circumcised but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were, notice this, buried with Christ when you were, what's the word? Baptized, and with Him you were raised to the new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross, the power of baptism. Now, in the first century church, when folks followed Jesus, they were making a radical statement about their life. And when they were baptized, they were marking themselves for potential martyrdom. In fact, when the Bible speaks of being a witness, the Greek word for witness is martyr. That's the meaning of the word. And that's how serious it was to say, you know what, I'm willing to publicly identify myself with Jesus in the midst of a world that is honoring Caesar as Lord. I'm saying that Jesus is my Lord and publicly affirming that. And by the way, in today's world, many places around the world today, that when someone comes to faith in Christ and they're willing to be publicly baptized, sometimes it can be a mark certainly of persecution and sometimes even of martyrdom even today. And so it's something not to be taken lightly, but something where we identify with Jesus. Now, here's what we want to do today. We want to help you if you've never made this decision in your life to follow Christ in baptism. If you want a turning point in your life, let me tell you, you need to get baptized if you've never done that. And I'm going to ask to the left-hand side of the aisle, there's a bag there. If everybody on the left-hand side of the aisle would reach down and grab that bag. And inside the bag, you're going to pull out a card that looks like this. It says, take a stand. I want everybody to get one of these cards in your hands. So it'll take a moment to get those down. While you're passing them down, just listen as well. Beginning tomorrow evening, 11th, 12th, and 13th, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday this week, we're going to have major baptism services every night. I mean, we're going to baptize, 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 baptize. We're going to do some major baptizing around here. Because there's some of you that this is the step you need to take in your spiritual journey to take you to the next step in your walk with Christ, taking a stand. Now, this card provides you an opportunity to let us know that you, I, you know, I'm making a decision today, Pastor, to be baptized. Fill the information out. You see the options here that are available for you in terms of getting baptized. You can check off one of those. And then what we're going to do in a few moments, you don't, don't need to do it right now, but in just a few moments, I'll tell you exactly what to do with those. Uh, and Also, if you have a mobile device, you can actually scan this right here, this little scan item here, and it'll take you directly to a website where you can register online, which is very helpful to us as well in terms of just administratively processing this. Now, while you are contemplating making a decision, and I hope that you've already done so, I'll tell you, baptism is something you don't even have to pray about. Some things in life you better pray about, but baptism is not, you don't have, you know, when God says do something, you don't have to say, God, is it your will for me to get baptized? Give me a sign from heaven, O God, that it is your will that I get baptized. No, Jesus said, be baptized. 
So it's the will of God for your life to take that step. Now, some of you perhaps have never even seen a baptism service before. You don't even know what baptism is all about. So we thought we would allow you today to have a celebration of baptism with us. We have two folks that are going to come up right now to be baptized. Brittany Calamaris as well as Edwin Cruz. Would you welcome them as they come to be baptized today? Come on up, guys. My name is Brittany Calamaris, and I want to get baptized today because I want to show God, not only through my words, but through my actions, that I love Him and that I want to walk through life with Him. God has literally saved my life. Um, back in 2006, I was hospitalized and was, you know, I, I almost died. And, um, and I prayed and I asked God to please help me and, and please help me live. And the doctors came in and told me that I was going to live. And, um, and because of that, you know, every day, when I can actually be in the moment and I'm breathing, I realize, you know, that is God breathing in and out of me. You know, it's, so it's because of God that I'm here today. 2013 is going to be a turning point in my life because I believe in my heart today that God doesn't put anything in my life that I can't handle. And so with God, I, I can do anything. And I'm ready to face this new year on with, with God by my side. Brittany, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Yes. Therefore, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hereby baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My name is Edwin Cruz, and I've decided to get baptized today, you know, to publicly declare that God is my Lord and Savior, that I've accepted Him as my Lord and Savior, and that I'm ready to put my full, full faith in Him, and that, you know, all the struggles I've had in life, I'm ready to put in His hands so He can just take them away and, you know, pour nothing but blessings out on me. God has done plenty of miracles, plenty of them, two of them being saving and healing. He saved me by breaking the chains of addictions that I was suffering with They were holding me back. And he has healed me, you know, all the pains I've had in my life, all the struggles. He's taken it all away and filled it, all those holes up with nothing but love. 2013 is going to be a turning point in my life because I'm ready to start my walk with God. I'm ready not just to be a believer, but a follower as well. Edwin, do you know Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life? Then upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I hereby baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a public affirmation of faith in Christ. And so if you've never been baptized, God is saying, this is your moment, this is your time. So I'm going to ask those of you now on the right-hand side of the aisle, there's a brown bag there that should be empty, and if you'll grab the brown bag, and for those of you that have filled this card out, for you, would you please drop this into the, uh, into the bag there, and we'll collect those at the end of the service and be in contact with you about your baptism time this coming week or in the future. Very important that you respond to God's dealing in your life. It's a turning point year for you. The second thing that you and I need to do in our lives, if we're going to take a stand for Jesus, we have to learn how to live differently. Would you say that phrase with me? Live differently. See, being a follower of Jesus means that you experience something that is often referred to as conversion. 
While that word is not in the Bible per se, conversion, there is the concept of transformation or a changed life. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, there is a change that happens. You're not the same person that you used to be. That change starts happening in the way that you think, in the way that you speak, in the way that you live, in the attitudes of your life. Things begin to be different. And I'll say it this way. If you claim to know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life and nothing has changed in your life, you haven't really received Jesus in the way that you need to receive Him. And I'm not saying that the change in your life will make you a perfect person, but I'm saying something will be different when you get to know Jesus in a personal way because His Holy Spirit comes inside of you and you you are born again. You have the life of Jesus in you. Paul talked about this in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 6. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me. Here we go. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard it and understand, understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, Paul said the way that we know the gospel is working in somebody's life is that their life is changed. Their life is not the same as it used to be. They're living now differently. Now, what does this different life following Jesus look like? Well, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4 as well, beginning actually in verse number 21. Notice these words. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew, that is make new, change, make different your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Now, would you agree that if you're a Christian, you ought not tell lies, right? That should be amen right there, okay? That's okay. <laughs> let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't, let, don't, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So Paul says, hey, watch out. When you lie, you're not living like Jesus. When you're letting anger control you, you're not living like Jesus. Then he says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. That's good advice as well, right? Tell the neighbor next to you, I hope that is not you. Go ahead and tell them, I hope that's not you, okay? <laughs> Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. I'm going to stop there just for a moment. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His, as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved at the day, or on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Paul said, you know what, I didn't cover everything, but in case I didn't, all types. All types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What I want you to note here is the emphasis on living differently as a believer. And if you and I want to, to have a serious faith, a faith that gets us on the right path for our future, not just a better future, but the best future that God has for you, you have to make the decision to take your faith public. 
affirm your faith publicly and then say, I'm going to live differently than the world around me. I'm going to be a light shining in the midst of darkness. My behavior is going to change. My attitudes are going to change. My words are going to change. By the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I want to reflect that I have been born again by the life of Christ inside of me. Here's our third point today. To take a stand, you and I need to connect with the church family. Now you say, Pastor, all these things are, are really basic. Yes, they are, but the basics are powerful. The basics and the fundamentals are the, are the difference oftentimes in our victory. And this third point is extremely important as well. Connect with the church family. See, one of the ways that you and I connect with Jesus is by identifying with his family. And there are a lot of people that want to say, hey, Jesus, I love you. I just don't like your family. Okay. And by the way, there are a lot of people that live that way. They're, I am in love with Jesus, just don't like the church very much. Let me tell you something, if you love Jesus, you've got to fall in love with his people as well. You've got to love what Jesus loves. And I want to tell you, Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, he loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. And when you are really growing in your faith in Jesus, you begin to love what Jesus loves and you begin to love his church. See, the life of a Christian is a community life. It is not an independent life, it is a community life. It is the fact that we are connected with and to one another. This last week, I took some time to go back through my Bible and take a look at all what I would call the one another passages in the Bible. And I was very tempted today to share with you all the one another passages, but we would have been here for several hours. Because actually, in the New Testament alone, there are over 50 references to one another. Love one another, serve one another, be generous to one another, be hospitable to one another. Be kind to one another. All kind of passages related to one another. And by the way, in your, in your notes there, I've given you 14 references to the one another passages. And the reason that you have 14 there, it's a great way to take one a, a day for the next two weeks and focus on what does it mean to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. So again, one a day for the next 14 days will help you to learn what does it mean to be a part of Christ's body, His family, to be a part of the church. Now, let me remind you, you need the church and the church needs you the church we are the church church is not a building understand that church is not a facility you can, you can have church anywhere. We've had church over the years in all kinds of different places. And so we're grateful for and thank God for the building he's given us. That's fantastic, beautiful campus we have up in Frederick as well. But these buildings are nothing more than buildings. The church is, uh, it re- relates to the people, the relationships that we share with one another, the commitment that we're in community with each other. We belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. We are family. And you're never too big for church and you're never too little for church. You're never too rich to not need church, and you're never too poor to not need church. You're never too accomplished in your life to not need church. You're never so unaccomplished that church is not a place where you can be safe and be connected. No matter where you are in life, weak or strong, rich or poor, accomplished or unaccomplished, weak is whatever the, the status of your life might be, you and I need one another because the Bible teaches us that in Jesus we really are all the same. The only way we get in the church is through the blood of Jesus. doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, how accomplished you are, whatever your life might have been. There's only one way to come into relationship with Jesus and one another is the fact that He has washed us by His blood and brought us into His family and we belong to Him and because we belong to Him, we belong to one another. We belong to each other. It's important to grasp. Let me say this. 
we better get used to the family. Because we're going to spend eternity together. If you don't like your brother and sister right now, eternity is a really long time. And that's why I'm so grateful for a church where God has allowed us to have so many folks from so many different places around the world. What an amazing group of folks that we have here. In fact, the last time we counted, I believe it was, this was a number of years ago, so we actually need to do a survey again. But I think we had somewhere over 85 different nations represented here in our church. Isn't that incredible? Over 85 different nations represented here in our church. Folks, let me tell you, only God can do that. Only God can bring such a diverse group of people together and say, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, we belong, we're in family. See, this is what heaven is going to be like, relationship with one another. And so that's why we must learn how to live in right relationship with each other now. Why? Because we're practicing and preparing for eternity. Let me encourage you, get connected with the church family. Your life, listen to me, your life depends on it. I've learned this over the years from my own self, and I've seen it in so many people. And the passage that I want to leave you with as we're wrapping up today is Psalm chapter 92, verse number 13. It's one of the passages that is a very close and dear passage to me. It's a passage that is very, very true in our lives. Read it together with me. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. If you want to flourish, listen to me. I'm speaking wisdom to you this morning from God's Word. If you want your life to flourish, and I believe that you do, what does flourishing mean? Flourishing means that you have the fullest fruitfulness that you could potentially have. The greatest productivity that you could possibly have. The best life that God has ordained for you. How do you get there? How do you get to the best life God has ordained for you? How do you get on that pathway? The Bible is very clear. He says, get planted in the house of the Lord. When you get planted somewhere, it means you have the opportunity to put some roots down. You have the relationships that connect you one with another. In a church setting, you have a pastor that helps oversee you and a pastoral staff that helps teach you in the ways of God's pathway for your life and help guide you along your journey. I hate to think where I would be in my life today had it not been for the people in my life that have helped me along my journey and given me wisdom when I needed it and guidance when I needed it and yes, correction when I needed it and adjustment in my thinking when I needed it. Why? Because I was in the body. I would not be where I am today had it not been for the body of Christ being planted in the house of the Lord. And the Bible says, get planted somewhere. Put your roots down. Let them go deep. Now, planting does not mean you just show up. Planting means that you grow up. Planting means, you know what? I'm going to be a part of this family. That's my family. I belong to that group of people. I'm going to invest my energies here. I'm going to give of my time and treasure and talents to get the mission of the church accomplished. This is my home. This is where I belong. And the Bible says that if you'll get planted in the house of the Lord, God says this is what I will do for you. I promise you, you will flourish. Now folks, I want to tell you something. In ministry, I am not a Johnny-come-lately. I've been around for a while. I got gray hair. Okay? That's what little bit of hair I have left is gray. Okay. And I've watched people for a long time. And I've watched both sides. I've watched people who planted themselves in the house of God and stayed planted. And I've watched their lives. I've, I've been doing ministry for 35 years. I've been doing ministry right here 
This will be, I believe, our 27th year right here in Church of the Redeemer. So that's a while. Would you agree with me? That's a while, okay? I know I look very young for that, but that's okay, okay? And I've watched people who've been planted, I've watched their lives flourish. I was talking to someone after service last night about some things that had gone on in their life and how the flourishing of God had happened because they'd been planted here for 25 years and they had seen the flourishing of God in their life. And I've watched people as well on the other side of that that don't get planted or don't stay planted. And I watch and see the, the consequences of that. And the Bible, listen folks, the Bible is true, amen? The Bible is wise. The Bible will tell you how you ought to live your life. And the Bible says, here's the way you live. Get planted in the house of the Lord and you will flourish in the courts of God. Your life will flourish. So what are we learning today? We're learning something very, very important from God. If you're going to turn your life this year in a new and fresh way so that you can be not just good, better, but best, you can have the best life that God wants you to have, you've got to be willing to take a stand. One, ways you take, one of the ways you take a stand is by willing to publicly affirm your faith in Jesus through baptism, to go public with your faith, to make a decision, second of all, that you're going to live differently, that you're not going to be like the world around. We need some lights in the midst of darkness, Right? We need people that will stand up and say, I'm going to live like Jesus wants me to live. And they say, you know what, I'm going to live it out in the life of a community. I am planted in the house of God because I believe that when I'm planted, I will flourish. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth of your word. We ask you to seal this in our heart. I pray for each person today that needs to make that decision to be baptized. I pray, Lord, if they didn't fill out the card earlier, I pray that you'd help them to make that decision now and to affirm that they're going to publicly stand for Jesus. I pray, Lord, for all of us, you'll help us to embrace the importance of living differently. God, give us the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way we think, the way we act, the way we speak. Every part of the way we live, let it be conformed to who you are. And Father, I pray you'll help us to learn how to connect ourselves with the church community so that we can flourish in the house of God, be be all that you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to take a stand today. And we believe you for the fruit that will come because of it. In Jesus' name. Well, perhaps as you've been watching today's broadcast, something's been happening inside of you. Maybe you felt a stirring in your heart, something that's reminded you that you need to get some things right in your life with God. The first way we start in that journey with God is to open our hearts to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of our life, to turn all of our life over to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now. It's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Would you bow your head with me and pray this prayer? Say these words, say, Jesus, just acknowledge that He is Lord. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all of my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, I want to encourage you with the promise of God's Word that says when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there's salvation that's brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you, you need to take some next steps. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word, to make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it, to spend some time each day in prayer. We have some resources available for you through our website. We'd love to provide those for you. Just let us know that you need those, and we'll make sure that we get them into your hands. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. 
Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.